0: book of Isaiah tonight. Through the years, I have gone back and forth. Sometimes I preach a lot out of the New Testament, then sometimes I preach a lot out of the Old Testament. But I got news for you, no matter what others may say, it's all God's Word. Every bit of it. It's all applicable. It's all useful. Uh, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so we thank the Lord that we have a complete Bible. And so we're going to be in Isaiah. And uh, Lord willing, I want to preach on the thought of here am I, send me. And I'll get into that here in a little bit. Pastor asked me if I would talk a little bit about Adam and Kelly Rosenbaum and give an update on what's going on in their ministry. And uh, back when I became pastor, that first year, uh, Brother Larry Morgan was preaching our missions conference, and he had already been booked by the pastor before he passed away. And uh, so they asked, do you want us to cancel that meeting? I said, no. No. I said, we're not going to stop. We're not going to pause. We're going to keep going. And so Brother Morgan came and preached. And I remember the end of that week, I watched Adam come down to the altar weeping. And uh, when a pastor watches his people come down, he can tell when the touch of God's there. And he's either worried that something's wrong, (laughs) something's about to fall apart, or he's like, maybe this is something great. And Adam came up to me and said, God has called me to be a missionary. And so we got the privilege and the joy of preparing him and Miss Kelly went on deputation and uh, they have now been in Ghana for a number of years. And uh, they did, I think a two year uh, stint. Then they came home, home on a furlough and it, in the middle of that furlough COVID came. And uh, so then they, they got back right after, soon after that, uh, that year. And uh, so they've been there now a few years since. And God has been using them in a, in a mighty way. The first couple of years they spent getting the, their language understood, getting things going, understanding what goes on there, helping another missionary. And uh, when they got back, they began to strike out on their own. And um, Adam was out door knocking one day, and he came across this, this property. It was basically four, some walls. It was more than four. It's in an L shape property and uh, the walls were there, but that was it. There was no roof, nothing. There was junk had been uh, dumped inside that building. And he texted me. He's still out there door knocking. He's like, look at this pastor. What do you think about this? And I'm thinking, I think it's a dump. (laughs) But uh, I said, man, if God's laid that on your heart and you're that stirred about it, let's look into it. So found out who the owner was. They ended up, and I'll probably get this wrong. I don't know if he'll hear this, but I don't remember what the cost was, but it was very, very, very little. It was just a little bit of money uh, for a five-year lease on that property. They would do the the improvements to it. We would do the improvements to it, and so churches gave, and they put a roof on it, put a floor in it, put windows in it, a door on it, built some furniture for uh, the benches and stuff inside, and now they're having 50 people plus every week, and it's a blessing. It's fun to watch what God is doing. And last uh, well last month, I was in Germany on a missions trip and uh, Adam called and he said, hey, uh, there's a young man in the church that's been coming and he wants feels like God's called him to preach. He wants to be a pastor. And uh, so we're gonna start training him. And uh, so if you would pray for him, his name is Alex. And I don't know what God has in the future, but maybe this is the man God has in line to pastor the church that's being planted there uh, in Ghana. And so God has sent another family, the Yin family, to be a blessing to them. And uh, they have been uh, a help to Adam and Kelly. And as many of you know, if you've been reading the letters, uh, Kelly has had some chronic health issues. And uh, those still are not completely straightened out, but she is doing a lot better. Uh, she has some better days than before, uh, more better days than she had before. And so we're thankful for that. And uh, so we have one of our men in the church is there right now visiting with them. And uh, Adam this morning, I found out he was sick. And so I texted him and he said, boy, I'm glad John's here. I don't know what I'd do without him. So God knows exactly what you need when you need it. And uh, so I'm glad John's there with him right now. And uh, we were there. uh, We've been there four four weeks, I think, in total. Uh, We helped them move to Ghana initially. And both myself and Wendy got sick. It is very difficult to go to Africa and not get sick. Uh, So pray for them. There's malaria, there's the dengue fever, there's all kinds of sicknesses uh, that missionaries have to deal with. And especially when it's your children that are so sick, you're not even sure they're going to make it. That is a very disturbing thing to go through. Uh, But that's what I was talking about last night. These are heroes. And they don't look at themselves as heroes. Adam has many times come to me and said, Pastor, I don't know if I I can do this. I said, God called you, you can do it. There's no doubt about it. In short, that's what the discussion we had, but um, you don't go into it thinking, well, I'm, I'm an iron man, I can do this. I'm gonna be the hero. No, you go into it thinking if we get anything done, it's by the grace of God. And God has certainly used them. And I am so thrilled and thankful Uh, for what has been done there in Ghana. Uh, The ministry is growing. They've seen souls saved. They've seen people learning, uh, staying for going to uh, classes, uh, special uh, discipleship classes and such as that. So that's going forward. And I thank God for that. And so it's my desire very soon to be able to go and uh, visit with them if the Lord will work that out. Does anybody have a question about the ministry in Ghana? I don't know if I can answer it, but if I cannot, I'll get the answer by tomorrow. And so if anybody has a question about Brother Rosenbaum uh, or the ministry there in Ghana. They are in uh, Kumasi. Yeah, there's, there's little, they call them, well, in, in Mexico they were colonials, but there's neighborhoods and different areas and districts, but the town, the city is Kumasi, Kumasi, Ghana. And it's inland. We would fly into Accra when we went, and then you'd take a bus uh, over to Kumasi, and thankfully they've just got it, so you can now take flights pretty easily from between Kumasi and Ghana. Or, yeah, Kumasi and Ghana. So Ghana is Kumasi and Accra. And so Accra is where the international airport is where you fly into, and then you go wherever you need to from there. And it's just like Mexico. It's dangerous driving there. What's the government attitude They don't have a problem with it. Yeah, that's pretty easy. We, we have an organization. Our church is listed as an organization there. And so uh, in their view, Adam is our representative. He is a volunteer, an unpaid volunteer. And so that's the way they view that and they don't have any problem at all. Ghana is very religious. Um, there, there's a lot of uh, charismatics there. Uh, in fact, when we were there, uh, it can be unnerving because late into the night you can hear them and it sounds like a rock and roll concert, um, but you can hear them all over the villages. Uh, with their music and stuff going way into the night. And even their their preaching, they they might have three people. They got a super sound system and they're booming that out, you know, past midnight. And so sometimes it can be disconcerting. And uh, they would meet in schools. The church uh, there would meet uh, in a school. And I remember going there. They didn't have electricity, so we took our own lights in and hung them up. And all around us, you could hear people speaking in tongues. You could hear groups of no, 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 just jabbering all over, and so it really—it's creepy, it's satanic. Um, You can you get that feel there, but to them it's religious, it's it's um, church, and so they don't have a problem with religion and church. So um, they haven't had any kind of resistance at all in their ministry. Anybody else? All right. Well, if anybody thinks, one, well, did I cover about what you wanted me to cover, brother? If there any more questions, you can ask them tomorrow. Yeah, that'd be fine. That'll be fine. And uh, pray for Adam right now. He, As I said today, he told me, he said, I don't feel well. He said, this is the worst day I've had in a long time. And uh, so pray for brother Adam. Satan is always attacking your missionaries. Understand that. If he's not attacking them spiritually, he's attacking them physically. Uh, if he can't attack them physically or spiritually, he will attack them uh, socially. He'll attack their family. And yeah, and I know all of you think that preachers have perfect little families. Right? Husbands and wives of pastors and preachers, missionaries, they never get into arguments. The kids are always perfect. You know, messes are never made. No spills are... Yeah, they, they struggle. And so Satan knows what to do to get his to get his hand in the door. So be in prayer for the missionaries, if you will. All right. Isaiah chapter number six. Um, we're going to read here nine verses, actually eight verses, through one through eight. And uh, then we'll get into the message. And I want to be careful this evening. I, I don't want to say something out of turn, but I want to address the idea or the, uh, the, the teaching of being called to ministry. The Bible says, "...in that year, or in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly." And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Our Father, I pray you'd help us tonight as we look at this uh, passage and we draw from it this idea, this, uh, uh, the necessity of men answering the call to go and preach the gospel, not just in America, but around the world. God, we need more preachers. We need more men of God. And Lord, we know there are even churches in America that do not have pastors. Men of God that have been in pulpits for many years are now dying or uh, getting to the age where they can no longer carry that standard. And Lord, I pray You would help us because we need men. We need men that will step up. There's many nations that still have not heard the gospel. They do not have anyone to go and preach to them. Lord, I pray you would help us, God. Call men as you see fit, and we'll thank you for what you do. Lord, if there's one here perhaps tonight that has been struggling against a call, uh, perhaps they have been resisting what you want them to do. And God, many times we have our plans, we have our dreams and our desires, and sometimes we have our fears that maybe our families will not follow or they would not be happy. It will make us miserable. Lord, I pray You would put all of that to rest tonight. And God, in light of Your Word, help us to see how important it is to be obedient to the voice that cries, Who shall we send and who will go for us? We ask You now to help in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned, I want to be careful. I think many times as preachers we intend... Well, but we say things, or through our testimony perhaps of our personal calling and our personal life, we put the wrong idea in people's minds. And I think a lot of young men today are waiting on the same kind of event or experience uh, like the Apostle Paul had on the road to Damascus. Uh, We're waiting on some kind of a uh, experience, a touch from God, a specific and clear call on our lives that will make it plain to us that God is calling us to the full-time ministry. But I think what we miss is this. God has already called every man who is born again to serve Him. It's not just your pastor, it's not just Brother Humphrey, it's not just myself, it's not just Brother Adam, it's not all these. It's every man of God, everyone who says they are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ have a call on their lives to preach the gospel. The call has gone out. I think through the years, I know in my case, in my experience, I've watched... Been in church all my life and I've watched pastors and preachers and missionaries and evangelists get up and almost coerce people, almost bend their arms and uh, do all kinds of things trying to get people to say, okay, yeah, fine, I'll do it. But listen, God is not in, uh, He's not the mafia. He's not going to break your leg if you don't say okay to Him. Amen? Amen? God wants men to step up voluntarily, with a pure heart, with a desire in their their soul to serve Him. And I've seen many times that I, I, I believe I've seen that in some men and they, they feel like or they, they behave as if there is that fire in them. them they, they have a desire to serve God or do something. And I've had men come to me, Pastor, I'd do whatever God would call me to do if, if He would only call me. Well, let me, let me just rest your mind tonight. He has called you. If you do not heed the call. There will be blessings that will be missed in your life. No doubt about it. Brother Humphrey, the ministry is a rewarding thing, isn't it? That we could tell stories of what God has done. We were on deputation. i I'll just tell you one little story that just sticks out in my mind. Uh, we were, uh, were working hard trying to save up everything we can, trying to go from church to church to church. And I remember one night we were in a, a missions apartment much like yours and Uh, We had sandwich makings and that and we had been traveling and eating sandwiches for weeks. And my wife said, do we have enough money to go to a buffet tonight? Can we just go out to eat? And I said, honey, I don't think so. And so I said, you know, we got some sandwich makings, we'll be okay. And so we were sitting in there that night just getting ready, just kind of sitting there and relaxing a little bit before bed. And a knock came at the door and one of the men of the church I answered the door and he was standing there and he said, listen, I teach karate classes in the gym and I charge a small fee to the students. And we always try to give that money that they give to a missionary. And so since you guys are here, the Lord put you on my heart. I wanted to give you this money. He handed me a wad of cash. And I had to refrain myself. I had to calm myself. I said, well, thank you, brother, because, you know, we got to be all proper and stuff. Oh, thank you, like it's not a big deal, thank you. I will put that with the other bunny we got in the big chest of cash that we keep in the trunk of the car. And so I said thank you and wished him a good night and shut the door, and I turned around and said, you want to go eat? She's like, yeah! Isn't that a blessing? God takes care of his servants. He is. Not, listen, David said... I have been young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor His seed begging bread. Amen? So listen, I I don't think God's going to take and bash your head in and break your leg and make your life miserable if you don't answer His call. But if you don't answer the call, you're going to miss out on some things in life. The joy of serving the King of kings... A lot of folk look at me and God's been good. I've been all over the world and been able to see things. My wife and I have traveled all over America. Deputation and furlough is a blessing to us. We've gotten to see things and experience things and meet people. And I'm like, man, what a life. I wouldn't trade what God has done in my life for nothing. Are there difficulties? Yes. Are there sacrifices? Yes. But the benefits he loadeth, the Bible. Remember that where David said he daily loadeth us with benefits. The benefits he loads his people with are much greater than the trials we go through. I think sometimes veteran missionaries and preachers and evangelists can sometimes get up poor mouth and boohoo about what things are in the ministry because they want everybody to look at them and say, "Aw, them poor people, don't pity me." I'm having a blast. Amen. I'm serving the Lord and I'm enjoying every minute of it. God is taking good care of me. But I'm afraid that many times, sometimes without meaning to, we have pushed men away from the ministry or we've made them think that there's some sort of a special light in the sky they're looking for or some experience because everybody's experiences are different. The church I surrendered to preach in is similar in size to this building and I'll never forget. It was was a barn at one time and they closed it in and made it a building for a church. The, they had red carpet, and I'll never forget the night the Holy Spirit of God touched and moved in my heart. I got down on my knees over here, and I remember the pattern in the carpet and everything because it was so vivid, and I cried out to God and wept and said, Lord, my life is yours. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And he called me to preach. I went to my pastor. I said, I think God called me to preach. He said, well, let me know when you think, when you're sure. I, and I was sure. I wanted him to confirm to me. I wanted my pastor to say, yeah, I knew it. Right? But he threw it back at me. He's like, well, go be sure. I was sure, but I went home anyway. And then Sunday I went to my pastor. I said, Brother Joe, I said, I know God's called me to preach. He said, that's wonderful, son. Be ready Wednesday night. (laughs) Yeah, I was sweating bullets. I went home and I studied. I, I did a lot of reading and I made I made like six or seven pages of notes. And I thought, boy, this is going to be great. And I got up there. My knees were literally knocking together. And I preached those seven pages and sat down three minutes had gone by. <laughs> Amen. You guys are like, where did those days go? <laughs> the call has been given. God is calling men. Pastor, I don't think God has quit calling men. But I think maybe men are looking for something different than the reality of it. God has called us and now he's waiting on us to respond. Who shall we send? Who will go for us? I want us to look at the anatomy here of a call in this passage, I have four things I want you to look at tonight, and then we'll be done. But in this passage here in Isaiah chapter number six, the first thing I want us to see is this: I notice that we must have a godly focus. Isaiah was a man who, according to what we read about him, walked with the Lord. And if you read through your Bible, you're going to find that when God used someone, when He called someone, He called people that had zeal, they had desire, they had an urgency for the things of God. Even Listen, even though Paul was doing the wrong thing, he was doing it jealously. He was doing it with a lot of zeal. He was doing it because he believed God and he wanted to be the best thing for God's work that he could be. He was just misled. He had zeal, but not according to knowledge. But these men like Isaiah and Jeremiah and a lot of others, uh, Gideon, these were men who knew the Lord. They loved the Lord. They were walking with Him, seeking His face. And look what he says here in verse number one. I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. We need to have a godly Focus. He saw the Lord. And there's many Christian men today that I believe the reason they don't understand or hear the call or recognize there is a call is because we're so involved on living to please this flesh that we have tuned out the things of God. When the message is being preached, we're thinking, boy, I'm glad Brother Joe's over there listening to this because he really needs it. And we don't come in with a heart saying, God, I need to hear from you today. Lord, I want, listen, if no one else gets anything out of this, I want to receive something today. I think it's funny how people come to you and say, Preacher, I'm just not getting fed here. And I'll be like, That's kind of strange because, you know, Brother John across the, the aisle from you there, he's getting fed. Sister June over here, she's getting fed. Everybody around you is getting fed. Why aren't you being fed? Because you're not eating. We need to have a focus on the things of God. We need to, have a, we need to look at Him. Look at what He noticed about God. Number one, He said, uh, he, said he saw also the Lord high and lifted up. Uh, we, need, we, we need to see an exalted God. An exalted God. We don't have... People today make their own God. If you notice that, people made up what they want God to be. They have invented God. They have invented a God who just gives them everything they want and is okay with whatever they want to do. I've literally heard believers tell me that. The Lord is okay with anything as long as I want it. He wants me to be happy. I sat down at at lunch with a guy one time. He said, yeah, we're going to leave the church. I feel like that's what we should do. And blah, blah, blah. He goes on. and, And I said, brother, I said, how in the world can you think this is the right thing that God wants? What is it that makes you feel like God is leading you to do this? You know what he quoted me? He said this. Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. I said, so your desire is to leave me? Your desire is to go somewhere else because you don't like it here. So God's going to allow you to go because you delight in him. I think you've messed that verse all up. I think your idea of what you're just making something up, taking it out of context to make you feel better about yourself. We don't see God the way he really is. We've made him what we want him to be. Instead of us being his servant, we've made him our servant. Well, he is a friend of sinners. Thank God that he came and he died on the cross. He made himself of no reputation, but that doesn't change who he is. He said, I saw him. High and lifted up. We need to see an exalted God. Then the Bible says here he saw a holy God. These cherubim or seraphim uh, were were flying over him and they were crying, uh, friendly, friendly, friendly. No, no, they were crying, love, love, love. No, of course not. They were crying, holy, holy, holy. Holy. They were crying it so loud, the Bible says, the timbers, the posts of the door moved with the sound of their voice. You only talk like that when you're convicted about it. When you're sure about it. And these angelic beings knew enough about Him. They, they, were, they were close to Him. They knew more about God than any human being did. And the only thing could come out of their mouth was, Holy! Yet churches today don't want to see a holy God. They want to see a common God. They want to see a God like the ones the churches in our community, I don't know about around here, but they'll put up billboards saying, come as you are. And if you say anything about dressing decent to go to church, people get all, God don't care how I look. You need to start reading your Bible Because he does care how you look. When he laid things down for the Old Testament worship, the dress was very clearly stated how it ought to be. How everybody was to behave was clearly stated. Jacob went back to Bethel. He told his family, go change. Get cleaned up because we're going to meet God. God is a holy God and we've got to stop coming to Him like He is some kind of man just like we are. God is not man. God is greater than man. He is holy and righteous. He saw a holy God. Listen, I believe we ought to have more of a godly focus. Notice what else He saw. He saw a powerful God. The Bible says the house was filled With smoke, We saw this when the temple was dedicated. It was filled with smoke, the presence of God. Now, I don't understand what that was all about. I don't understand that 100%. But what I do know, it was unnatural. It wasn't a normal thing. It wasn't somebody lit a fire and it filled the thing with smoke. No, no. This came from heaven. This was a heavenly act. It was something man had nothing to do with. Sometimes we'll go to church and even during the music or even before that, somebody will be praying and starting to weep and the Holy Spirit of God will move in. I cannot explain it. I don't know how to describe what goes on, but people start coming to the altar and things begin. God begins to work in hearts. People are convicted. Uh, People get even saved. And you're like, what is going on? I'll tell you what's going on. Something that man cannot do is being done by God. But many churches have given up on that type of thing. Now churches want to create something. They want to work it up. They want to use a band or some sort of a, boy, I enjoyed the music already today. Man, last night, tremendous. We don't need that stuff where people get up there and get everybody to clap your hands, lift, your, lift them up, run around in circles, make yourself dizzy and giddy and laugh until Jesus comes. No. We don't need that stuff. We're not in a show. This is God's house. He saw a powerful God. We, as God's people, as churches, have so lost the power of God in our congregations that instead of figuring out how do we fix that, we've started imitating it. We've started figuring out how do we make it look like we have it. You know, one thing we associate with power is a big crowd. Boy, God was with us. We had a thousand people. Yeah, don't mind the cigarettes and drinking. That was just, you know, right? It's shocking what goes on in some of these things that are called churches. But they'll always say, yeah, God's with us. We know because we had a bunch of people there. No, that's not. You don't know that God's with you just because there's a bunch of people there. There's holiness. There's lifting Him up. There's power. A power that is beyond what we can do. The power of the Holy Ghost reaching inside of a heart and breaking it. Molding us, bending us, even when we're hard as we can be. When we walk into the house of God thinking, I'm tired, I don't care, I don't care what he says tonight, and we sit down and something is said, a verse is read, or a song is sung, and our heart begins to melt, that is the power of God. He saw a powerful God, and too many times we've given up on that. I've heard preachers get up and lament, boy, I remember the day when the altars were full, and this happened and that happened, well, can I, can I remind you the same God is still with us now as was back in the whatever? Let's don't talk about what God used to do. He can still do it. You know what limits God? We do. Because He sent out a call and God's men have gotten so comfortable in our positions in society you know why missionaries want to go to third world countries and they want to build ministries there? Because those people don't know what it's like to sit in a cushioned pew. Amen. They're not baby. They're not. Listen, they're not soft yet. And we got to Mexico and started preaching and dealing with people there. It kind of offended me at first. I got to think about it. I'm like, they're right. We were talking about how different people are in different places. I said, in America, this, that, and the other. One of our sisters said, boy, they're muy delicada. They're very delicate there. I said, yeah, Christians in America are delicate. They're fragile. You got to be careful what you say. Preachers used to be able to get in a pulpit and preach, rip your guts out. And everybody's like, amen, preacher. I needed that one. Amen. Remember those days, Brother Humphrey? We used to go knowing we're going to get preached to. Now preachers are careful. We got we to be careful with our words because, man, people are soft now. He had a godly focus. He wasn't concerned about the things of the world. He was concerned about one thing, and that is exalting the Lord. What is your purpose as a church? The Bible says, unto him be glory in the church. Your purpose as a church is to glorify God. Now the work we do in ministry, winning souls, giving out the gospel, reaching out to the natives, whatever you do, supporting missionaries, all of those things are ministries and all of those things give glory to God. We begin to mess up when we start giving glory to man. When we start exalting man, then there's a problem. But number two, he said, I also saw the Lord, but also I begin to think that those answering or the lack of those answering the call is maybe due to our view of God. We look at him as a common thing. He's... He's just a force and he's become so disconnected that people today, even Christians, they don't think of who we serve. Look at me. Your creator that gave you life wants you to serve him. And we're like, eh, I'm busy. You don't understand. I got a family to raise. You don't understand. I've got commitments. We don't have a good view of the Lord, do we? God is like a genie in a bottle for many Christians. We don't even pray unless we really need something. I'm just being honest tonight. Many Christians, listen, if we were to be honest tonight, if we were to be, uh, say, listen, this is how much I pray. This is how much I read my Bible. I, I think you would be shocked at the number of Christians who spend little to no time at all in prayer and reading their Bible and communing with the Lord. That's what I'm talking about. It's no wonder men of God, preachers, or or saved men are not answering the call because they are not walking with the Lord. Over and over again in the New Testament, we see this phrase, walk in the Spirit. He says, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You know what we're doing every day? You say, well, preacher, I'm not committing adultery. I'm not, I'm not doing whatever, I'm not doing drugs or I'm not doing this or that. But we are in no less way fulfilling the lusts of our flesh. You understand that? Don't look down at the adulterer when you're working your, your life away trying to have a bigger house and, and more cars and more fancy playthings. We've lost sight of who God is and how important His ministry is. Everything we are is about Him. Everything. The social gospel has influenced even strong churches in our day. The ideology of Joel Osteen and others that God just wants you to be happy. He died on the cross for you to have joy and happiness. Jesus Christ died on the cross. And let me, let me, you understand what I'm saying. He died on the cross to bring glory to his father. Because that was what was required. He saved my soul for his glory. You understand that? God didn't make you. Now you're such a special thing. God's like, wow. I can't believe what I've done. I have outdone myself. I mean, this one's special. We do that with our kids, don't we? I think the way people treat their kids is a reflection of the way we treat God. We created those little things. They can do no wrong. Nowadays, we have any teachers here teaching public school or anything like that. Nowadays, you you have teachers that if they were to try to get onto a child or say to the, the say to the parent, your child did such and such. Now in my day, my dad would be like, you wear him out, and when he gets home, we're going to whip him again. Nowadays, it's like my kid doesn't do anything like. And so our idea of how we do with our kids, they can do no wrong. They're just our little angels. We listen. Many moms and dads have made their children idols. And that's the way we view our relationship with our heavenly Father. I'm his idol. He adores me. Look, Jesus died on the cross for me so look who I am. You see what I'm saying? We have made it about me. It's no wonder we don't see more men saying, yes, Lord, I'll humble myself and serve you because that's what my life is about. Christians have moved from a time when they worship with reverence and godly fear. Now we live a casual, easygoing, and informal experience that's what we want is an experience we want church to be like six flags or the theater or something else we don't see god as who he really is when i say we i'm speaking generally this church may be different i don't know i just got here you may be perfect i don't know Christians have moved from that time of reverence and godly fear to a casual, easygoing, informal experience. And I believe that's a big reason why young men and older men are not answering the call like they used to. I think if we could get back to worshiping the Almighty... Recognizing who he is. Look again at what uh, Isaiah says here. He said, I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it were the seraphims, and, and the, 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 he talks about that, and they cried, Holy, holy, holy. And he didn't say, woo-hoo, I'm going to start shouting and dance around. No, he said, I said, Woe is me! Look through the Bible that when men were confronted by God, they didn't jump around or rave their hands around or dance. They fell on their faces as dead men. And I just don't see that in churches today. We need to have a godly focus. But number two, I noticed that we must have a proper view of self in society. In verse 5, he said, woe is me. And in society, you guys, listen, I'm not telling you anything new, but I'm afraid we feel like it's out there, but it is literally touching our families. The emphasis on humility has been replaced with a call for more self-esteem. You are special. Even in our soul winning, brother, I've tried to change a little bit how I approach it when I'm going out witnessing. We used to, you know, you go to the door and say, you're, you're special to Jesus. Jesus just loves you. And he's making a mansion for you if you'll trust Him. You know what? I started going and saying, You're a wicked, dirty, rotten scoundrel. You deserve hellfire. I deserve hell. Our church will not come to me and say, I deserve so-and-so, because I always reply, well, I deserve hell. But I didn't get it. Thank the Lord. Amen. And it's all for His mercy and grace. But we ought to have a better view, a more proper view of ourselves. He said, woe is me. Let me show you a couple of verses. Go over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. The Bible says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. I remember when I graduated from high school, I'd already been called to preach, I'd surrendered to preach. But I, I began after graduation because I had been, this had been drilled into me by my teachers. I had gone to a public school by my teachers and by others in the community and others. They had drilled into me. You need to you know, find something you love doing and do it. You just you know, Do something. You need to make money. You want to be successful. Be successful. Get a good education. We hear that in the government today, don't we? You just go get you a degree and we'll pay for it. People make more money if they got a degree. My wife for a little bit was working at a coffee shop. She had people in there working with her, had doctorate degrees. Why? Because they couldn't find a job in the field they were trained for. And now they'll give you a degree in anything. They'll give you a degree in smelling flowers. Whatever you can think of, they'll give you a degree in it. You walk away with a paper, but little more than that. What are they doing? They feel like, listen, they think this is the real answer. Build up their self-esteem and they'll do better. Crime will stop. People will stop stealing. They're going to stop murdering. They're going to stop doing this. They're going to stop doing that. If you just build their self-esteem up, you do that through education. Has it worked? No. The answer is actually on the other end of the spectrum. Humility. Let me help you this evening. You're worthless. Some of you are looking at me like, yeah, we're just a ball of dirt. The Bible says, the dust you are, and the dust you'll return. But we're not taught that in society, we're taught, I'm special. Mom and dad starts teaching them from really little, you're so special. You're so special. Then when the teacher says, hey, little Betty did something today. You wouldn't believe she punched another kid. Not my Betty. I know you didn't do it. Don't worry about that, honey. We are making a bunch of frightening people. You want to help your kids out? Teach them humility. I'm not telling you abuse them and say they're stupid and dumb and jerks and worthless. I'm just saying teach them humility. Teach them to serve one another. Teach them to love one another. Before you turn me off, I'm getting to where we're going, but teach them to serve one another. First Corinthians in verse five, chapter 15 and verse nine says, "Hey, this is Paul, I am the least of the apostles. Now wait a minute. Many of us would agree the Apostle Paul was probably the most successful preacher in the the church period. Wouldn't you agree? One of the most successful preachers of the gospel. He planted many churches, saw many souls saved. But not once will you find in any of his writings where he said, I am special. No, he said, I am dirt. I'm not worthy to be an apostle. I'm the chiefest of sinners. Look what he says here in verse 9, 1 Corinthians 15, 9. I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He was given a thorn in the flesh to keep him from being exalted above measure. And he prayed that God would remove it. The Lord said, my grace is sufficient for thee. The life of the apostle Paul was a struggle But that's what made him so good at what he did. He viewed himself in the proper way. When he looked back at what was accomplished, here's what he had to say about it. I am what I am by the grace of God. It's not by the education I got. It's not by the talent that I have. It's not by the power or the strength or knowledge. It's by the grace of God that I can do anything. And I think there's a lot of young men and older men, too, that could be serving God in ministry. And they sit there because the devil gets them to think, You're not qualified. You can't do it. You don't have the ability. You don't have the knowledge. You don't have the understanding. You can barely read. It's not about you and what you can do. It's about him and what he can do. And many times I've had men come in and into the church on, like, wow, look at their, their very charismatic personality. They're a magnetic person and people love them. They, they're always, they just seem to lighten up a room when they walk in. And you're like, man, God can use that. That's going to be exciting. And then before you know it, they're way off into sin. Then you get that person that stumbles and mumbles, stutters, and you're like, Lord, you want me to train that one? And he reminds you, 1 Corinthians, he uses the weak. He uses the base. Why? That no man will glory. God wants the glory. Glory. Look at ourselves differently. If we saw ourselves the way uh, Isaiah did when he said, woe is me, I am undone. Have you ever thought of yourself as undone? That's a fun word to think about when you think, I mean, I'm undone. I mean, you put, you put some, I don't know what you would put in, the, you know, the cake, you put a cake in the oven. You get it out and you go to cut it, you got it all decorated and you cut it and the middle f- pours out, it's undone, Right? <laughs> We you say, that was a failure, right? My wife and I have a disagreement. Yeah, I know. you're like, what? You guys look so harmonious. No. When I, I like my brownies just a little bit, almost hard. I like them firm. And she's like, no, you want them almost undone. Yeah. Come, on. Come on now. Get your heart right, brother. <laughs> yeah. But I'm telling you, look, most of the time, that, that, that uh, illustration didn't go far, I'll be honest with you. But <laughs> most of the time when something is undone, it's a bad thing, all right? But maybe brownies, are, I don't know. You got to eat your brownie with a spoon. I just, you, you know, anyway, get pudding if that's what you want. All right, but anyway. But he said, I'm undone. I am not worthy. I can't do, listen, I have been face to face with God. I'm concerned, Pride and self-centeredness has changed the servant-like spirit that our forefathers had. Now listen, we can't do much about others outside these walls, but we can work on ourselves. In the kitchen, in our fellowship hall, we have up there, serve one another with love. Hanging on the wall. That's the way it ought to be. The Bible says to esteem others better than yourself. But you know what? Listen, I understand this is human nature. I'm not picking on anybody because I was guilty, too. Many times we sit in church and look at the pastor and think I could do a better job. Don't look at me like you've never thought those things. I could do better than that. You know what? I tell my people and I've told them this. You're probably right. You probably could. But that's probably why God hasn't called you. God's looking for someone that'll say, "Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. God, please help." I've seen many men go at ministry because they have this great physique, this great ability, this great mentality, this intellect, everything. They use all the big $20,000 words or they have an accent that everybody likes, Australian or you know, you know, Indian. I don't know. They got all these big guys you see on TV that has the big preachers, big name people writing books. They've got accents. I don't. Sorry. Nobody's ever said I like the way you talk to me. <laughs> Amen. But we ought to see ourselves as we as we are. We ought to have a proper understanding of self. Number three, I notice we must have a proper understanding of the work Christ has accomplished in us. You say, preacher, how are we supposed to do anything if we look at ourselves as in in a humble way? Because we recognize anything that gets done, it's him that does it. I am not worthy to be in front of you right now. If you knew my life and you knew some of the things that I've thought or done, you would throw me out of here. You look at your pastor sometimes, you think, boy, he's just a great man of God. Look at how perfect he is. Ask his wife, though. Don't get nervous. Don't ask her, though. But what we recognize is this. Humphrey, it's God that does anything that gets done. It's not me. There's a preacher one time. He got married and he's already in his ministry kind of late in life. And his wife said, honey, there's one thing I want to ask you don't do. There's a little box up in the shelf in my closet and I don't want you to mess with it. It's private. It's personal. And I, I ask you, please don't, don't touch it. And she said, OK. He says, Fine. One day she was gone and it got to bothering him. He says, you know what, it can't hurt. I'm not going to change my heart about her anyway. So he went in there and he looked. He opened the box and there were three chicken eggs and a wad of cash in the box. And it just started messing with me. He's like, what on earth? Why could this be such a big secret? But he put the box back and he said, okay, I can't say anything because then she'll know. I looked. But it bugged him so bad. One day he said, honey, I just got to tell you. So I'm sorry, please forgive me, but I looked in the box. She says, oh, no. He said, but what's the big deal? Tell me, what is it about the eggs? You guys have heard this, haven't you? You're, some of you are already laughing. She said, well, every time you preached a message and it was terrible, I put an egg in the box. And he's like, all these years and just three eggs, that's not too bad. She said, yeah, but every time I got a dozen, I sold them. (laughs) That's why God gives us wives to keep us humble. Years ago, my pastor said they were walking home from church. They lived there on the property, sort of like your pastor does. And they were walking to the house from the service. And he said, honey, we're men. We just need help sometimes. We need to be encouraged. So he said, honey, did you get anything out of the message tonight? She said, yes, I did. A 15 minute nap. <laughs> so we need to be humble. Verses 6 and 7 here in Isaiah. One of the seraphims, the Bible says, flew unto him, and having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar, with tongs from the altar, he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this had touched thy lips, thy iniquity is taken away, thy sin is purged. I think a lot of times men hesitate to serve because they don't feel like they're worthy or they can't. And, and it's just, you know, I'm not like, uh, like uh, Pastor Dimler. Or I'm, like, I'm not like uh, Brother Pittman or I'm not like all these other men of God. I just can't. We are just men. Have the same struggles. We sometimes wonder, did I blow it? Was there anybody get anything out of that tonight? But the thing that makes us understand that it's worth it is, we know it's not us, it's Him. It's His power. Instead of having confidence in self, have confidence in the work Christ has done. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, Faithful is He that calleth you who also will do it. God did not call me because I'm a great preacher. I hated speaking in public. I remember we had to do an oral book report. I read the book. I wrote the report. But when I got in front of the class and I was told to read my report, I fell apart. That was sixth grade. That was a traumatizing moment in my life. I ran out of the room. My teacher had to go out there. She was so sweet. She hugged me and said, it's OK. It's all right. I was trembling. I did not like to be in front of people. Went on into eighth grade. I didn't skip sixth and seventh or whatever. I just later on in eighth grade, I had to do it again. I had to get up and give a report to the class. And I had something in the report that was funny and everybody laughed and I fell apart because I thought they're laughing it. And so when I was 15 or 16, somewhere around there, that I surrendered to preach and I felt the call of God on my life, I said, look, you don't remember I fell apart trying to give a book report. I can't do this. And now many times I'm preaching and people sitting in the pew says, he can't do this. But I'll be honest with you. The only thing that gets done is because God does it. It's not in me. It's not. It's not. The Lord showed that to Isaiah here. This is causing you to be pure. I've purified you. I've given you my righteousness. I've cleansed you. You can do it through my power. You can. Philippians 1:6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know, it's not hard to be a vessel. That's what God is calling us to do. Men, be a vessel, a glass. You put a glass here, you get a pitcher of water, you pour the water in. The glass isn't straining to hold the water. It's just doing what it does. That's what we are. We're a vessel. That's all God wants us to do is to be that vessel for Him. Whether you think you can or cannot is irrelevant. Philippians 4.13, again, the great preacher, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And I believe you can tell what he's saying here is if it wasn't for Christ, I couldn't do any of it. 1 Timothy through 19 let's turn there, I want to look at some of this. 1 Timothy, I know it's getting late and some of you are about to clock out. 1 Timothy, chapter 1 and verse 12. I thank God, I'm sorry, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me... Into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. He's not lifting himself up, it's all Him. Howbeit, for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In verse 19 he says, "...holding faith in a good conscience which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck." You see what he's saying here is, it's not about me. Timothy, make sure you trust the Lord with it. Timothy, if you ever get to the place where you're trusting in your ability, you're in danger. Make sure you know it's all about Him and what He's doing in your life. But lastly... Number four, I noticed that we must have a desire to get involved. After all of this, the Lord calls out and says, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? By the way, there's you another verse for the Jehovah's Witnesses and others that don't believe in the Trinity. He wasn't talking about us as in me and the angels. Amen. He's talking about the Godhead. Then said I, here am I, send me. We've already seen that Isaiah didn't feel worthy. But when the call came, he said, I'm willing, here I am. And here's the bottom line, here's what I think. The reason men are not surrendering to ministry is because they simply don't have a desire. They don't want it. Sometimes, Brother Humphrey, they've seen preachers struggle. They've seen churches have the attitude, you keep them uh, humble, we'll keep them poor. My wife, when we we met, she's told the story and she many times said, I don't want to marry a preacher because her dad was a pastor. She watched her dad get stabbed in the back. Many times pastors' family have a jaded outlook on things. They're just just not happy with ministry. Many times they leave the things of the church when they're out of the house because they've watched the struggle, they've watched the hurt, they've watched the pain. And many times preachers have so highlighted all of that so that now men sitting in the pew when the call is given Whom shall I send and who will go for us? They won't say anything. They might be afraid of the woman sitting next to them, not being happy about it. You know what, wives? It will be a good thing for you if you would tell your husband, Honey, whatever God called you to do, I'd be right here with you. You may not understand or realize that he may be avoiding the call because he's afraid of how you would respond. You, ladies, you know this. Your husband does not understand you. I can't stand those games where they're like, what did your wife wear yesterday? I don't know. Clothes. I'm pretty sure there was a skirt. But don't ask me the color. Right? What's her favorite color? What's her favorite flower? What's, it changes every day. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what's her favorite food. Chocolate. I know that. (laughs) But what I'm saying is, listen, ladies, sometimes your husband hesitates to follow the Lord because he doesn't know how you will respond and you mean so much to him. He wants you to be happy. I've watched Adam and Kelly and other missionary couples. I watched my own wife many times on deputation where they'd put us in a room. Let me tell you this, this is going to blow your mind. We were on the field and a preacher called me and said, hey, will you come over to Puerto Vallarta and preach for us? I said, yes, sir, I'll be there. By the way, in Mexico, I preached two hours. And everybody's still engaged, amen? Just saying, I'm not saying anything about you, I'm just saying that was Mexico And so when we were done that first night, he said, yeah, we'll put you up. We're going to take care of you. It was right around our anniversary. And we were going to plan on making a trip to Puerto Vallarta because we did it every year. It's off season. We get a good room, good rate. And so he said, we're going to put you up. I said, all right, preacher, that's good. That's fine. So we got done. And it's almost like this absent-minded man all of a sudden realized, oh, we got to get you a place to stay. And, okay, come on, follow me. And we followed him over. And they, they went to this little apartment where this single guy lived. And we walk in, you can see there's no curtains on the windows at all. The the windows are filthy. You can see the little single light bulb hanging down through the window. We go in and there's trash everywhere. There's a guy in their one bedroom trying to pull off the sheets and get... I think I saw something move under some of the garbage. And here I am, a young missionary... With well, this young wife near our anniversary, and I'm thinking this could ruin my life. What do I do? Do I make my wife just to be kind to this person? Do I make my wife stay in this situation and sleep in a room where neither one of us are going to close our eyes all night long? We're going to feel like things are crawling all. Do I do that? If some of you men are like, no, no. <laughs> So I took, I took the pastor said, hey, can I talk to you, a minute? And I pulled him aside. I said, listen, I don't want to offend anybody. I said, this is our anniversary. And I want to do something real special for my wife. And I said, I appreciate what you're doing. I really do. I said, but I, we're going to go over here to this hotel that we generally stay at while we're here for our anniversary. We're going to get a room there if you don't mind. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I understand. And it worked out. You know, they were very kind and gracious about it. But I was like, whew. I mean, here I am, I've got to either offend this person or my wife. I've got to live with her, not them. Right? After I'm done, I'm gone. I'm leaving Alaska so I can fillet you. I'm just joking. I wouldn't do that. But the thing is, I think sometimes men are worried about what their wives are going to do, how they're going to react, how are they going to handle it. If I surrender and God calls me to Africa, what do I do? God will work out those details. You just be obedient to God. You trust the Lord. Isaiah had a desire to get involved. He immediately said, here am I, send me. A call is not answered where there is no desire. First Timothy 3, 1. By the way, this is seen several times in the New Testament. But in 1 Timothy 3, we see the, the qualifications of a bishop. And he starts out by saying, This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. There was a day... When men of God, men who love the Lord, men who read their Bible and prayed and walked walked in the Spirit on a daily basis, they would have been thrilled for God to put them in a position as a pastor or a missionary. That was an honorable thing. It would be a privilege, Lord, if you would call me. Here am I. Send me. I've known some men through the years. Who have told me, preacher, I've prayed and asked God. I've wanted to go to a mission field. And God says, no, you just stay in the church and be faithful. Love your pastor. Get behind the church. Serve there. Isn't that a blessing? But there's always those who say, eh, I've seen what it's like to be a preacher. I don't want that. I think maybe there's a lack of desire. Desire... Is like love. It is a discipline. It is a choice. Love is not something that overwhelms you. and You're like, I can't help it. You ever heard I'm falling in love with so-and-so? You don't fall in love. You make a choice to love. There's a man who got saved and baptized. And there's this lady he was really into, loved her, wanted to be with her. And, and I said, look, she's lost. I said, the best thing for you to do is step back. Don't get involved. You give her your heart. You let yourself love her, and it's going to be too hard for you. But he wouldn't listen. We make those choices. We step into those situations. The same thing goes for desire. Yes, desire is a naturally occurring feeling, but it is allowed to be directed. The design God has is we can direct our desires. We can direct our love. And I'm asking you tonight, because God is calling, will you direct your desire to serve Him? Tonight, will you lay yourself on the altar and say, yes, I want to be called. I have a desire to be called. I think sometimes young people or men think we're not allowed to do that. You'll just have the desire if God calls you. No, 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 no. You get that desire. and You say, here am I. Send me. That's what you do. Then let God decide what he does with you. Somebody once said this, that we want a contract. God will write out all the details and we'll get to look at it, analyze it, and then sign it. And that's not what happens. God's going to give you a blank sheet of paper and say, sign it. Amen. The question is, do you trust God enough with your life to say, yes, I will. I'll do that. Our desire to serve God is motivated by a love for God and for the souls of men. And if the Lord allows me, that's what we're going to preach on tomorrow night is our motivation ought to be love. If you are not willing to pay a price for what you believe, you don't really believe it. Do you believe People in your community are going to die and go to hell. People you know, people that you have grown to like, to enjoy being around, maybe even family and friends. Do you really believe they are going to die and go to hell if something's not done? Then it may cost you something. And there are many, many nations, many countries around the world, communities without the gospel. We went to Germany and the missionary brother Seth Richards took us to town after town after town and said, nobody's here. Not one gospel preaching church. On the border to Poland, we were able to stay. We, we parked in Germany, walked around that town, Gorlitz Germany, And walked across the border into Poland and had lunch. You're able to walk right across. It's the European Union. And I told Jason, I said, you could have a church here and reach Polish people as well. Talk about a two for one. There are people everywhere that do not have the gospel and there are not enough people going. I'm not asking you to go. I'm not asking you to commit to a field tonight. I'm just saying, lay yourself down for, before the Lord and say, I am here. Send me, Lord. Send me. Preacher, I can I'm too old. You don't know that. You don't limit God. You don't tell God what He can and cannot do and how He can and cannot use you. You just say simply, here I am, Lord. Send me. And then see what He does with you. Amen. You see what he does. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. Lord, I do believe that oftentimes we are confused about this call. I think sometimes we're waiting on some kind of a special invitation from God, some sort of a enlightening moment. I don't know what we're waiting on, Lord, but while we're waiting, millions of people are dying around us. Every day, people are going into eternity. God, I know there are men who are able, if only they were willing. God, I pray tonight you would prick those hearts. And perhaps they would even make it a matter of coming to the altar and saying, here am I, send me. Whatever you wish to do in their hearts and lives, I pray, God, that they would be willing to allow you to do it. God, they would have a desire for that. I pray you do your will in Jesus' name. Amen.